0: Good morning, good afternoon I should say and uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you to this, the next installment of the um, Pirkei Avot Shi'ur that I give on a weekly basis. We look at a mission in Pirkei Avot. We're up to Mishnah Vov in Perik Aleph. I'm going to look at the camera, not at the Zoom. Zoomers will have to forgive me. Uh, and uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube, uh, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. If you go to the bottom of your screen, you'll see an icon um, with my picture on it. If you click on that or if you just pass your arrow over it, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which I'd love you to do. So please uh, do that if you're able to. And uh, those of you are watching it on my website, you can do that as well. You can actually just click onto the screen. It will take you to YouTube and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel and get regular updates of my latest videos whether they are the Parsha, or whether they are Pirke Avot, or Jewish history, or the various other things that I do on YouTube, you are welcome to be a subscriber and we'd love you to join us. Now, I want to look at the 6th Mishnah of the 1st Perik of Pirke Avot. We're now on to the next generation of the Zugays, of the Pairs, that we began with a couple of Mishnais ago. And we now have a very interesting pair, and there's a lot of confusion historically about this pair. uh, But I don't think, I think the confusion is born of a misnomer, and therefore people are confused. But I'm not confused at all, because if you know anything about Jewish history, you'll know the answer. And I think that if you leave um, Jewish history or history to historians and theology to theologians, um, you're going to be on much safer ground. Let me explain. The pair in question are Yehoshua ben Prachya and Nita'i ho'arbeili So these are the two great rabbis in Jerusalem Both of them at the head of the Sanhedrin One is the Gaivud, one is the Raivud, whatever they called themselves in those days One was the Nosi, I think that was the name of the head of the Sanhedrin And there was uh, the Avbezdin And they presided over the Sanhedrin, they presided over the religious affairs of the Jewish nation. I think I explained it a couple of weeks back that the religious affairs had always been in the domain of the Kohanim, but the Kohanim had drifted somewhat from this uh, particular role. And of course we know of the story of the Chashmonaim, the Hasmoneans, Uh, the Maccabees had to reclaim Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash from the Greeks, but it wasn't actually the Greeks. It was the Kohanim, their relatives, who had totally abandoned traditional Judaism and had taken over the Temple, introduced Greek idolatry into the Beis HaMikdash. And of course, they were supported by Antiochus and Antiochus, Antiochus for Epiphanies. But um, even though the Chashmonaim now became the rulers during the Hanukkah story of the Jewish nation in Eretz Israel. Nevertheless, two generations later, they were no better than the Kohanim that they had usurped and replaced. Uh, And therefore, uh, the leadership, the religious leadership of the Jewish nation, once and for all, went into the hands of the rabbis. It was very, very important that moral, spiritual, religious, halachic guidance was provided for the Jewish nation. They were no longer Nevi'im. They were no longer kings from the tribe of Judah. The Kohanim were not capable of taking on, on that role, although there were Kohanim who were also rabbis in the Sanhedrin. And there's some discussion as to whether Yeshua ben Prachya was actually a Kohen. There's disagreement on that. But their primary role was not as Kohanim. That's not how they are known, at least to us. They're known to us through the medium of Chazal. That means that they were representatives of the Jewish faith, part of the masorah that was initially described at the beginning of Perik Aleph of Perkei But let's talk about Yeshua ben Prachya. Who was he? Uh, Yeshua ben Prachya is most famous in Jewish mythology, that's what I'm going to call it, as the Rabbi of Jesus. Yehoshua ben Prahya, Joshua ben Prahya, the Gemara says, that he encountered Jesus, got very angry with him as his student and uh, declared him an outcast and he blew 400 shoifras and he was menadehim, he put him in cherem and even though Jesus uh, came to him, he's called Yeshua not Hanoitsri, even though he came to him and begged him for forgiveness and tried to reconcile with his teacher he was abandoned by Yehoshua ben Prachya and the rest, as they say, is history. The only problem is, it isn't. Because history has to, uh, has to fit in with the chronology of events that we know occurred. Yehoshua ben Prachya lived roughly, I don't want to say exactly when, but roughly 200 years before the destruction of the Beis Hamikdosh. When was the Beis Hamikdosh destroyed? In Jerusalem, the Second Temple was destroyed in the year 69-70 of the Common Era. 200 years before that was 130 before the Common Era. And we know, at least based on all the evidence provided to us by Christianity, that Jesus was born at around the time, by the way, probably a few years before, that the Common Era began. How do we know that it has to have been before? Because one of the stories that is told about Jesus is that, uh, that, G- uh, that King Herod sought his death and King Herod died four years before the beginning of the Common Era. So even though, generally speaking, people believe that Jesus was born in the year dot, year zero of the Common Era, That's not possible because if he was a a baby and King Herod was still alive, even if it was the last year of his life, that was four years before the common era began. But whatever the case may be about King Herod uh, seeking to kill Jesus as a baby, uh, and I'm not going to go into that right now, one thing is for sure, Yeshua ben Prachio lived long before that. Yeshua ben Prachio Prachio lived at the time time of the Hasmonean monarchy, uh, the dynasty was in its full rulership, um, uh, certainly Chazal say he lived at the time of King Yanai, Alexander Yanai lived at around that time. And if that's the case, he could not have been the teacher of Yeshu 3 That being the case, why is he referred to as the teacher of Yeshu 3 Well, I can't get into the mind of those who edited the Talmud. Um, One thing I can tell you for sure is that the Baale Teusfus, that is the medieval German and French scholars who annotated the Talmud uh, on the opposite side of the page in your printed edition to Rashi, they were uh, generally speaking, they were either relatives of Rashi or students and disciples of relatives of Rashi and they lasted for around 200 years. Uh, After Rashi died, Rashi died in the year 1105. So at least until the uh, 14th century, there were Bali Toisvis, and they write that the, that the identification of Yeshua HaNoitzri in the Talmud as Jesus of Nazareth is a mistake. And it's true to say that Yehoshua ben Prachya had a Talmud called Yeshua HaNoitzri, but it's got nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity. We know that at the time of Yehoshua ben Prachiyah and Nittoi HaArbeli, we know for sure that that was the beginning of the period of the split between the Perushim and the Tzidukim. The split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there was great fear that there was going to be uh, um, a complete undermining of the Jewish faith by the breakaway movement, the Sadducees, the Tzidukim, who were claiming that they were the original sect of Judaism and that the Perushim had added all the material that we know as Torah Sheba'al Per, but it had no place in Judaism. And they were going back to the original source, etc. And it would fit in with the story that Rabbi Hoshua ben Prachya, who came, who was the leading rabbi of the generation of the split within Jewish life, that he would have a Talmud who was a heretic. Heretic meaning, he was a Sadducee. Now it happens to be that his name either was or wasn't Yeshua Noitri. Maybe his name was something else completely. And maybe there's some confusion and they just inserted the name Yeshua Noitri, which does sound very similar and familiar. Uh, uh, it's uh, similar to Jesus and familiar to us through Christianity. And therefore this confusion came about. Either because the man's name was Yeshua or or because that name was erroneously included in the narrative about Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachya and his errant Talmud, his errant students. But that being said, we know when Yeshua ben Prachya lived, which was a, in around 130 CE, or in uh, just over a century before the Common Era, and at a, around 200 years before the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh. He was an extraordinary rabbi. He's mentioned a few times in, um, in, the, uh, in the Talmud. I'll just tell you one thing that's in Menachos, stuff Kuftes, fascinating Gemara. The Gemara, you know, that uh, people are frightened of great responsibility. But once they are given great responsibility, they don't want to relinquish it. Isn't that right? The people who are given leadership responsibilities, oh they're frightened, if I'm no longer leader, people won't look at me. So there is, I'm, I'm never quite sure if this is tongue-in-cheek or not tongue-in-cheek, but there's this Gemara, Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachio, he said, if anybody would have asked me before I became the leader, would you like to become the leader, I'd stick him in front of a lion. In other words, I'd want him to die, rather than make me the leader. Because, the implication being, I would be so frightened of taking on that responsibility. However, once I become leader, or became leader, if somebody would say to me, I think that you should step down, do you know what I would do then? I'd throw scalding hot water on top of that fellow. In other words, once I'm the leader, I'd never want to relinquish that position. Now, the Gemara there is with reference to Shol HaMelech who was a reluctant king of the Jewish nation. But once he became the king and he was threatened, his position was threatened by David HaMelech, who was not yet King David. He was threatened by this young pretender to the throne. Suddenly he was doing everything in his power to retain the position. So historically we have evidence for this phenomenon. But Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachya, one of the great leaders of the Jewish nation, one of the great religious figures of our history, Quoted here at the beginning of Pirkei Ovas, was somebody who recognized the psychology, the underlying psychology, of somebody who is thrust into a position of power. With that as a very long and rambling introduction, I think we can now get to the Mishnah itself. Says the Mishnah, what did they say? By the way, they received their Torah knowledge from... If you remember the previous Mishnais was Yoisi ben Yochanan Ishu Shalaim, and the one before that was Yoisi ben Yoese, Yo'ese Ish Tsuraida. These were the two um, the Zug who preceded uh, Parachya, Rabbi Yeshua ben Praachya Har Ha'Baili and they received their Torah knowledge and I guess their position from Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yochanan. And now they delivered the following message. We're going to see what first what Rabbi Yoshua Ben Prahya had to say, "This, by the way, is one of the fundamental teachings of Pirkei Avot and one of the best known." So you may not have realized it was Rabbi Yeshua Ben Prachya, but you will certainly have heard the lesson. The lesson is as follows: Yeshua Ben Prachya says, "Aseilacharav." Aseilacharav. Do you know what that means? Find yourself a very good rabbi, a teacher, somebody who knows how to teach, and somebody, somebody from whom you will learn a great deal. I'm going to read you the parish here: Asay lecharav, Asay lecharav lelimud mipi hashemua. Find yourself someone who can teach you Torah from the way he heard it from his rabbis. Somebody who can deliver you the scholarship and the knowledge and the spirituality of Torah because he himself received it from someone who received it. From someone who received it, etc., etc. Become part of the Mesorah. And continues the parish. The one grave error. clever people make is they think because I'm clever I'm going to know it all much better than anybody else who can teach me after all I'm so clever and geniuses and people who are bright are often done over by their own genius they shortchange themselves because they think they have nothing to learn from anyone else how stupid you can be so clever and so stupid at the same time. What are you talking about? You've got nothing to learn from anyone else. You've got plenty to learn from everyone. And this is a recurring theme in Pirkei Ovis. Don't think you know it better. Don't be arrogant. Don't be pompous. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't dismiss others in so many ways. You're going to see, as the weeks and months ahead unfold, and we're going to look more and more at the Mishnayos. And the teachings of Pirkei obviously, you're going to see this is a repeated theme. Make sure that you find a mentor. Make sure that you find someone who can give you guidance. And don't seek to criticize them or to find reasons not to listen to them. Of course you can take it to the ultimate level if you want to be a Chosid who has a Rebbe. Somebody who has complete faith in the person who is leading the group, the sect, etc., the community. The Mishnah doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't say, say rav. It says, say You as an individual have to always have somebody for whom you have great respect and reverence and from whom you can learn things that you don't know because they can certainly add to your knowledge and to your depth and to your breadth. Continues the parish. Even if somebody is not at the level, perhaps, that you would think that they can be your teacher, on your level, the same level as you, or even perhaps lower than you in some way, you should still place them as a rabbi over you, as a teacher. You know, that's one of the great flaws of human nature. We're all critics. We may not write a column for a newspaper, we may, may not be pundits on CNN, but we all fancy ourselves as professional critics. And we meet someone, we say, Ah, I don't like the way he speaks. Ah, I'm not sure how much he really knows about the economy, about politics, about geography, about geology, about history, about any number of subjects. That's not what we're talking about. Does he know something about Torah or about teaching Torah that can increase your level of knowledge of Torah? Asay lecharav. Find yourself a teacher. Don't judge him as being unworthy of that position. Because of some perceived flaw. Everyone has flaws. By the way, look in the mirror. Believe it or not, I do on a quite a regular basis. I, I've also got flaws. I think you do too. We all do. How would people react if somebody had to make us into the Rav? By the way, Shlomo Cowbach used to say something beautiful. You know what he used to say? Make yourself a rebbe. Elevate yourself to the level that other people will consider you a Rebbe. Make yourself into a Rav. Beautiful idea, isn't it? Don't ever think that you are unworthy of that position. Ultimately, you must be ready to learn from others and to teach others. You're not put here on this world because you're a paradigm of perfection. You're not put here on this world to believe that you know it better than everybody else. You must take advice, you must be ready to receive advice and to listen to advice in such a way that you can improve yourself. You must be ready to learn from others because no matter how clever you are, there is always something that you can learn from somebody else that you might not have thought of yourself if you would have gone through the material on your own. That's just a fact. There is no comparison. Learning something on your own, or learning it from some outside source, from somebody who's teaching it to you. If you learn something on your own, it doesn't have the same retention. You may not remember it, but if you hear a presentation of some subject from somebody else who knows so much about it, then you will not just learn it at that moment, you'll be able to retain it and remember it. You'll be able to store it away in your brain filing cabinet so that you can Take it out of that filing cabinet when you need it again. There's another element to this asel and then we'll move on to the next part of the Mishnah. The Mefarshim say asel doesn't say asel It Doesn't say find multiple teachers. Have you ever heard of the multiple teacher theory? The multiple teacher theory is if you know it's like people who go to more than one doctor. If I don't like what the first doctor tells me, I'll go to the second one or to the third one or the fourth, until I reach a doctor who says something I like. The multi-rabbi or multi-teacher theory is, I will I will pigeonhole my teacher so that I will teach us, each one of them will teach me the thing that I think I can learn from them, but I'm not going to learn everything from one person. I'm not going to have one um, systematic approach that's delivered to me by one particular Pedagogue, I'm going to go to multiple pedagogues. That's not a system of learning. In Judaism, we have this idea: "Aselecha rav," say the Find one overarching teacher. That doesn't mean you can never learn from anybody else, but there should be one particular person from whom you learn what's known in the yeshiva world as derech halimud, how to learn, and that you go back to. And if you, Once they've passed on, you have chaverim, you have um, contemporaries who study together with you and that person with whom you share a particular system of learning, of Torah knowledge. You are part of a system, part of an institution, part of a group that learnt from one particular individual. Find one person, find one person who can be your mentor for as long as that is possible. Because if you learn from scattered sources, your knowledge will be scattered. If you learn from multiple different people, you'll never be able to organize yourself in quite the same way as if you learn from one individual. That's not a limitation, by the way. It's a platform for greater acquisition of knowledge. Because if you are firm in your foundation of Torah knowledge, That will give you a confidence that you'd never have if you're always running from pillar to post. Okay, we'll move on to the next part of the Mishnah. It says, So, Make yourself, find yourself and make yourself someone as your teacher. But the next thing is, That's much harder. K'nei is Kinyan. Acquire a friend. Acquire a an acquaintance, somebody who is your counterpart, at your level. Why do you have to acquire them? That's hard. Because a teacher is a teacher. You go into a teacher's class, they teach you, and you have knowledge from them, but you're not their contemporary. There's always this distance between you and a teacher. But a Haver, he may not like you. So you've got to work much harder to make friends. Find yourself somebody who is worthy of being a friend. A a Haver, by the way, is the highest level. A friend, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew context, the word chaver, somebody who brings you together, He's, he, they, he creates a chibur. That is a true friend, somebody who increases who you are, who increases via the relationship, both of you, making you greater than the sum of your parts. That is what you need to do, and that's hard. Find that person, and to maintain that relationship is very difficult. But if you want to be somebody who is sound and stable in life, Don't be superficial. Don't just have acquaintances with whom you can have a beer in the pub. That's not what life is about. Make sure that you have someone who is a chavver and work hard to acquire that person. K'nei And finally, Ve'hebeidon eskola odom Make sure to judge every individual in the finest possible way. In the most positive way. You meet someone, you don't know who they are. It's not your chaver, it's not your Rebbe. You don't know who they are, you just meet them, you bump into them and then you see them doing something. Now you could judge them negatively or you could judge them positively based on the very same thing that they've done. Be Make yourself into such a person that whenever you see somebody doing something which may be a little bit questionable that you prefer to think of them as a tzaddik rather than a rosha. That, that is a characteristic, a character trait which is so important and which by the way, as professional critics, we have some difficulty with because we're so busy judging people negatively, aren't we? We always look at the negative in people. We're always looking for some reason to criticise them. Somehow it makes us feel better about ourselves because we know that perhaps we're being judged. And sometimes we are being judged. And therefore we will judge the person who judges us negatively. Rather than taking it to heart that perhaps the critique that is being directed at us is to improve us. We have to be don a even those who criticise us but make sure that we don't become meaningless, vacuous critics who seek to elevate ourselves to a position in which we do not belong simply because we found fault in, uh, in others. And that's the end of the Mishnah. We'll leave it here for today. It's such a, really such a pleasure to be able to share these Mishnais from Pirkei Ovis with you. And hopefully you'll join me again. For my next share, and uh, either live on Zoom or here on YouTube. I'm grateful to you for joining me. Thank you.